Good morning. If, uh, if you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. <clears throat> we'll be in Psalm 66 today, and we'll begin in verse 1 in just a moment. Psalm 66 and verse 1. And as you know, we are celebrating Thanksgiving here at the church, and Thanksgiving as a holiday is right around the corner. And, um, and as I was thinking about this yesterday, it seems hard for me to believe that we're already at the end of 2021. I mean, it seems like just a, a couple months ago we were talking about how glad we were to see 2020 exit stage right, uh, how, how we were hoping that 2021 would be uh, better for us. And for some of us, that hope has been realized. For some of us, 2021 has been much better than 2020 was. Um, I mean, 2020 was really just a, a, a dumpster fire in, in a lot of ways. And for, so for some of us, 2021 has been maybe less of a dumpster fire. I mean, maybe it's even been beneficial. I mean, maybe there's been a new job. You've had, um, you know, maybe you've had some kind of a advancement in work. You've had um, some kind of a health breakthrough or whatever it is. Uh, but some of us, 2021 has been a hard year. Some of us, we've experienced uh, tragedy or loss. We've had friends we've lost, loved ones. Maybe we've had a financial setback. Uh, maybe we've had health difficulties. And uh, as we think about the upcoming holiday season, maybe we're filled with dread, disappointment, or, or maybe even anger at the way things have gone. And, and the, the thing is, no matter where we find ourselves today, whether 2021 has been great or 2021 has been awful, the Bible calls us to focus on God and who He is and not what's happening around us. And the Bible talks about focusing on God and, and His character, and, and that is something that never changes. And so the psalm that we're going to look at today calls all people everywhere, the whole entire earth, to worship and praise and give thanks to God. And that would include us here today, to worship and praise and thank God for what He's done in the past, what He's doing in the present, and the promise of what He shall do in the future. So if you found Psalm 66 and you're able, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. And we're going to read the, uh, the whole psalm. It says, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, How awesome are your works because of the greatness of your power. Your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name, Selah. Now, I just want to pause here. Selah, uh, we're not exactly sure what it means. It could be a, a musical thing like a, a crescendo or a musical interlude. Um, most likely, it, it has something to do with, with, with pause. Consider what you've just read. Consider what you've just sung. And that may be happening while the music is playing as well uh, in the original context. Come and see the works of God, verse 5, who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let the, let, let the rebellious, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay my vows which my lips uttered, and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer, burnt, I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts, with the smoke of rams, I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. Selah. Come and hear all who fear God, 
and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we look, I want you to look back at verse 1. And in verses 1 to 4, we see a call to praise. A call to praise. Now, if you look at your Bible, uh, in, in just above the actual text of the psalm, you see a superscription. And, and what that is, it's, it's a little bit of information uh, that sometimes will give a bit of context to the psalm and what's going on in the psalm and what was the occasion of its writing. And if you look at Psalm 66, you'll see the superscription says, For the choir director, a song, a psalm. Now this author, whoever he was, proceeds to not only praise God himself, but also calls all people everywhere to praise God. Now in, in the contemporary church, uh, we, we tend to break up the music that we sing in a different category. Sometimes we talk about hymns on one hand and, and praise and worship on another hand. And, and, uh, and there are actually um, uh, some, some churches sing the Psalms. And, uh, and, and, but but I, want you, I want you to understand the Psalms were the original praise music. The Psalms were the hymnal of the Old Testament saints. We don't know exactly what it was that, that prompted these words from the psalmist, but he is clearly thankful and overwhelmed with gratitude for the, to the Lord for something that God has done for him. Now, now he calls others, if you'll notice uh, verses 1 and following, he calls others to praise God in three ways. First, he says to shout, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Now, notice he doesn't say shout joyful to, joyfully to the Lord all the Baptists. He doesn't say shout joyful. Thank goodness, right? Because we're, I mean, we're the frozen chosen, and we that that might that might strain us if if we were called to do that. But he doesn't say shout joyfully joyfully to the Lord all the all the Pentecostals or, or whatever group it is. He says all the earth, every living being that that has a voice should lift it up in praise and honor and worship of God and and shouts of joy. Now that word shout has the idea of marring. It has the idea of damaging. In other words, this should be ear-splitting. It should be loud. It should be uproarious. And, and he says we should lift up our voice in ear-splitting joy to the Lord. Next he says that we should not only shout, but we should sing. Notice what he says in verse 2. Sing the glory of his name. Now obviously there's, there's overlap here. He's not saying that we should raise a, raise a shout and then whisper a song. That's not what he's saying. He, he's talking about singing loudly and, and boldly. We should lift up our voices in praise to God. And, and, and I, I get it. Because I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I mean, if, if, if you were to give me a microphone, when I have, when, when I have sung, not, a, not with a microphone, because I have more sense than that, but, but when I have sung, I, I get requests. And it's usually to stop. I remember one time, you know, when, when, when you have the kids and their babies and and, or, or toddlers, and, and you're trying to get them to, to sleep and things like that. Sometimes you sing a little song or whatever it is. And I remember one time, and I don't think I've even told Scarlett this, I, it was one of the boys, I think it was John, I was, you know, trying to be comforting because that doesn't come naturally to me. So I was making the effort, and I sang a little song, I don't remember what it was, and he raised up and said, Daddy, no. Or something. And I was like, okay, I, I get it. Listen, I can't sing. Maybe you can't sing either. But, but I think that may be part of the reason the Bible says make a joyful noise. Because we can make a noise. It may sound like a, 
And it may sound like a, a, a bull out in the pasture, but you know what? It can be a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be the voice of an angel. We should use the voice that we have to sing to the Lord. And the question that I want to post to you is, do you do that? Do you do that? When, when, when we have our song service, do you sing the song of the redeemed? Or do you sit or stand silently? The psalmist calls you and me to sing the glory of his name, to, to make his praise glorious. In other words, it shouldn't sound like a funeral dirge when we sing joy to the world. That's not what he's saying. He says that it should be joyful, it should be happy, it should be resounding. So he says first we should shout. Second he says we should sing. The third way he says we should praise God is by speaking. Speaking. And notice who he has in view here. Look at, uh, look at verses 3 and following. It's not just God's people that are to... It's not, God's people are not just to sing and speak about God, but also we're to sing and speak to God. He says, speak to the Lord. We should brag about God to God. We should ascribe worth to Him. We should recognize His awesome deeds in the earth and in our lives. Now, look at verse 3 again, because if, uh, if you were reading and trying to, trying to contemplate what you're reading while you were reading, you may have kind of scratched your head, because whenever I did, I mean, I've, I've read Psalm 66 before, but it never stood out to me. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Say to God, how awesome are your works, because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give, my translation renders this, feigned obedience to you. Feigned obedience. Your Bible may say, some translations say, they will come cringing before you. And the idea behind that word, translated in, in my Bible as feigned, has the idea in the original language of lying or deceit. Now think about that. The psalmist says, because of your power, the nations will come and give you deceitful obedience. What on earth is that talking about? Why, is that, why would that even be a big thing? Why would that be a good thing? Listen, God's power is so great that his enemies will be obedient to him even though they don't want to be obedient to him. We, we see it with Pharaoh, don't we? You think about the Old Testament. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. What, Moses, or what did Pharaoh say to Moses? Well, first he said, no, you're, it's not happening. And later as the place went on, he'd say, okay, I'll let, your people, I'll let the people go. But then he would change his mind. He, he, would, he, he gave deceitful obedience. He gave lip service to being obedient, but then he would change it. And what's in view here is that God's power is so great that one day even his enemies, the people who hate him the most, will cringingly, resistantly, unwillingly, through gritted teeth, they will do what God said. Because God said, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh eventually do? He let, it, he let the people go. He didn't want to, but God's power was so overwhelming that he had to. It's, this is not done from a heart that loves God. This is done because the power overwhelms them. See, with, with, with believers, our heart has been changed. And we seek to obey God. We seek to please God. We want to do those things that make Him happy. But for the unrepentant sinner, the person that still hates God, even in this condition, if you'll notice verse 3, it's, it's the nations. It's not God's people. These nations who still hate God, they'll have no choice but to obey. It's like the child, and, and I've, you've, you've heard this no doubt many times, about the child 
who was told to sit down by his parents and, and he wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. Finally, they made him sit down. And what did the child say? I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. That is, that is a picture of a heart in rebellion towards God. God says, do this. And, and the, the, outwardly, the person may go through the motions. They may be obedient, but on the inside, there's not been a change. They're still standing up on the inside. And for the Christian, the commands of God, we, we do those things and they're not burdensome. We seek to please God. We seek to make Him happy. It's done from a heart of love. But the unconverted does not seek to please God. But one day, His, his power is so overwhelming, it is so great and so mighty and strong that, that, that they will have no choice but to be obedient even though they don't want to be obedient. See, power can force obedience, but it cannot change the heart and the will of an individual. And so this, the, the, this is talking about those people that, that still hate God, but they will one day be obedient to Him even though they don't want to be. All the earth will one day, verse 4, praise the Lord. Now, the psalmist... He just tells verses 1 to 4, praise God. Shout joyfully, sing, speak, talk about God's wondrous works and, and His amazing acts. And then he starts getting specific, verses 5 and following. And first he talks about praising God for the past. We see this specifically in verses 5 and 6 and then verses 10 to 12. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. He says that we should be thankful to God for deliverance. Deliverance. Now, now, this is an Israelite. This is a Hebrew person that is writing this psalm. And so as he thinks about God's work in, in the life of Israel, one of the key defining moments in the life of Israel is the Exodus. They left Egypt. They were delivered from Egypt. And he talks about him in uh, verse 6 about them, uh, the, 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 the sea being turned into dry land, God parting the waters. And, and you know the story. God brought plagues on Egypt to show them that, that not only the Israelites, but the, the Egyptians, that he was God. It's not the gods of, of, of Egypt that, uh, that are the true God. It is Yahweh. It is Jehovah. And the Egyptians let them go. And, and just a short time after that, God, they'd been made free, and the Egyptians began to, to, to pursue them. And they got stuck between the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. And so God performed this miraculous event. He parted the waters, turned the land into dry, the, the, into dry land. The people crossed over. But there's also a time that we're not familiar with when Joshua was leading the people and he led them across the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us that, that even though the Jordan River was in flood stage, God, again, he, he, he stopped the waters, made the land dry. The people got across on dry land. He did this miraculous event. He delivered his people. If you are a believer today, God has delivered you too. He is not, he's, he's not part of the, 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 the Red Sea for you. <clears throat> he didn't cause the, the Jordan River to dry up so you could go across on dry land. But he's done something even more incredible. God took out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He turned that rebel, God-hating sinner into somebody that doesn't hate God, but somebody that loves God. Somebody that was fleeing God now flees to God. He, he forgave our debt and our sin against Him. He reconciled us to Himself. He delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. And if, if you, you know, we, we go around Thanksgiving time, we say, well, what are you thankful for? And, and you know, we have to go around the table, and, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's uncomfortable even to think about what we're thankful for, because frankly, sometimes... 
life stinks. Sometimes bad stuff happens, and it's not pleasant, and sometimes we don't feel happy about things. But no matter what else happens, if you are a Christian, that fact alone is reason to give thanks. God has done a work in your life. He has delivered you. But next, if you look at verses 10 to 12, he says that we should thank God for discipline. Discipline. Look at verses 10 to 12 again. He talks about, uh, about the, the trying and testing them like a, a metal worker. And, and this has the idea of taking a precious metal like silver and putting it in a crucible and heating it up. And what happens with that, with that metal, as it heats, it, that, that the dross, the impurities, begin to be burned away. And sometimes in our life, God will turn up the heat. He'll refine us. He will burn out some of those impurities in our lives. Now, in the case of the nation of Israel, that often looked like outside nations oppressing them. He says, we went through fire and water. What a description of, of times of trial. And, and maybe in, in your hard times, you, you can identify with that. It's, it's, it's like the heat is, is being poured on you, but also it's like the, the waves are just, just pounding you and just overwhelming you. He said, we went through fire and water, but God didn't leave us there. His anger didn't burn off forever. If, if you'll look at, at, um, at verse 12, yet, you had us there, yet, you brought us out into a place of abundance. So we should praise God for the past. We should praise God for the present. Look at verses 7 to 9. We, we, see, um, we see acts of providence. Look at what it says in verses 7 and following says, He, God, He rules by His might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the, nation, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Notice here the tense has changed. Because the parts that we looked at before were past tense. And this is present tense. Verse 7, God rules. God reigns. Present tense. By His might forever. It's not that God used to reign and, uh, and, and, and that happened back whenever he was parting the Red Sea and drying up the Jordan River. But now in, in 2021, you know, all this coronavirus stuff and, you know, maybe God's not got it under control now. No, it says God rules, he reigns today. It speaks of his sovereignty. Not only, the, not only did God rule in the past, but he will rule in the future too. He rules at all times, past, present, and future. And notice how he does it. It's by his might. It's by His power, His absolute, total, complete, utter authority. God is in control. He is on the throne. He is on heaven's throne and forever will be on heaven's throne. There's never a, a, a day, an hour, a millisecond in which God has not ruled on heaven's throne. Sometimes it feels like the world is spinning out of control. We, we look, look, we watch the, the news and we see the headlines and we just kind of scratch our head. We get depressed and it seems like, like, like everything's just breaking loose. But God has not abdicated the throne. God has not been voted out. There's not been a recall in heaven. He is not sick. He is not infirm. He has not uh, uh, taken a break. He has he not passed away. He's not sick. His arm is not so short that it cannot save. He rules by his might. What's the Bible say? Forever and ever. That means today. And notice what it says in verse 7. His eyes keep watch over the nations. He rules over them all. 
He, he does this through providence. And, and sometimes we, we focus on America and, and his God, God's blessings on us, and that's good. We have been blessed. But listen, he doesn't just rule over the affairs of America. He rules over all people in all places in all times. I like the way one commentator put it. He said, his hand rules and his eye observes. His hand is not waxed weak, nor his eye dimmed. As so many grasshoppers, he sees the people and tribes. At one, at one glance, he takes in all their ways. And here's the best sentence of the whole quote. He oversees all, and he overlooks none. He oversees all, and he overlooks none. But notice it's not just his providence and his working his will out in, in all things that we should, uh, should, should be thankful for. Look at verse 9. He preserves his people. So we have his providence, but we also have his preservation. He has kept us, look at verse 9, who keeps us in life. He keeps us in life. It's because of him that we are breathing today. Now that's true in a general sense because the Bible says in, in Acts 17 that it's in him that we live and move and have our being. But specifically, this is talking about not, not just in a general sense, but, but God has delivered us and kept us. Verse 9 says, he, is not, he does not allow our feet to slip. He has preserved us. Probably all of us, or many of us, can go around if, if we had time and share times that we probably shouldn't be here today. I mean, honestly, some of us can tell about times when we walked away from a traffic accident. Some of us can tell about a time when, when we were out farming. And there was something that, that could have taken us out, maimed us or, or killed us. We could, we, we could think about times when we've had accidents at work. Some of us have maybe heard the doctor say, there is no hope. And yet we're here because the Lord keeps us in life. Whatever situation you find yourself in today, God is involved. The Bible says he rules and he reigns over your situation and he will keep his people. So we should praise Him for the past, we should praise Him for the present, and we should praise Him for the promise of the future. Look at verses 13 to 15. The psalmist looks to the future, and he, he has said it in his heart that he will come into the Lord's house, and he'll offer sacrifices of praise. Now look at verses 13 and into 14. He promises to pay his vows he made when he was in distress. That's not an uncommon thing for people to be in times of distress and to make a vow to God. Lord, if you'll just get me through this. God, if, if you will just bring healing to my body. God, if you'll just let me make it through this job interview. If you'll just let whatever it is, then I will do X. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll, anything. Just, you just name it, I'll do it. And this man vows, has, has vowed to God and he sits it in his heart that he's going to Fulfill that vow. Now, sometimes I think we believe that, well, you know, I was in a time of distress, so God didn't see it as binding. But God sees those just as binding as, as making a deliberate, well-phrased vow. They say there, there are no atheists in the foxholes. And this is, this is the same idea. When, when, when we have times of distress, those, 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 those vows are, are almost ripped from our lips sometimes. And this man fully intends to pay that vow. And I just want to pause for a, a, a moment of, just for you to answer this question in your own heart and mind. Have you vowed something to God that you've not paid? Because many times, like I said, maybe, maybe even as I say that, you can think of a time when you said, God, I have this medical thing happening. 
if you'll just let me get through it, I'll do X. And then he got through it, and what happened? Forget all about it. God, if, if, if such and such happens, God, I'll do whatever it is. Has there ever been a thing that you promised to God that you've not fulfilled? Because the Bible says he, he takes no pleasures in, 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 those, in those vows that we don't pay. In fact, the Bible says don't be, uh, be, be, uh, don't be slow in paying your vows to God. So, so we have this promise of the future. And finally, the, the psalmist concludes with a personal prayer of thanks and praise. Now, if you look at uh, verses 16 and following, the, the, the psalmist uh, invites all who fear God to come and hear what God has done. And, and he recounts how he's prayed to God and God has heard his prayer. He's inclined his ear. He didn't just hear the words, hear the request, but he answered and he acted. And, and in a mighty way that only God could do, God had come through. And the psalmist rightly points out that, that, that there is something that will hinder our prayers. And it won't just hinder, it will stop our prayers altogether. You, if you'll notice what he says, he says in verse 18, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now this is not saying that we have to be perfect to pray. Because we all have sin, we all have iniquity in our hearts. But this word regard has the idea of looking with approval upon. If we have that sin in our heart and we enjoy it, we continue in it, and we have no intention of stopping it. This is not talking about battling that same besetting sin. This speaks of the person who has sin in their heart and they're okay with that. Uh, they, they, they don't have remorse for their sin. They don't despise their sin even though they've taken part in it. But he says, but God has heard, he's answered, and it shows that that he's not cherishing that sin. Now notice this is all personal. This last section is very personal. And in our Western hyper-individualized context, that's the way we like it. We think, and, and maybe you've heard this, well, I don't need to go to church to, 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 I don't need to go to church to praise God. I don't need to go to church to, to pray. I don't need to go to church to worship God. I can do it where at? Well, I can do it, well, right now, out in the, out in the deer stand. I can do it out on the fishing boat. I can do it out on the tractor. I can do it while I'm laying in bed watching TV. They don't say that, but that's usually where it is. Well, can you worship God anywhere? Sure you can. This last part is talking about personal praising. Verses 14, or 16 to 20, so four, four verses, five verses. Talk about praising God personally. Verses 1 through 19 talk about doing it together. Don't you think that's saying something? Because he's not just saying, Earth, I'm going to praise God. What does he say? He says, Earth, join me while I praise God. You, you all come and, and you can join in. I'm doing it. You guys get in on the act. Offer up thanksgiving. Offer up praise. And I think this is highlighting the fact that we need to be regular and joining together for the purpose of corporate Worship. Can you worship God in a deer stand? Sure you can. But listen, there is something encouraging, something that you don't get when you're sitting in a deer stand by yourself, when you come together with other saints to worship God together. It's an encouragement. It, it's an encouragement to you, but it's an encouragement to somebody else. And, and, and that, that corporate worship should be an outflow of our personal worship. 
And, and as we seek to apply this to our own lives, I just want, I just want you to, to answer in your own heart and mind, what do you have to be thankful for today? We, we heard just a little bit ago in our time of, of prayer and meditation. Some of us have had pretty good weeks. Some of us have answered prayers. Now listen, those are things to be thankful for. But some of us, maybe even this week, have gone through some dark times. You've been in some dark seasons in 2021. Some of us are in the valley, some are up on top of the mountain. Either way, you still have something to thank God for. The Bible says His steadfast love endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. What do you have to be thankful for? When's the last time you said thanks to God? Today is a, a great day to do it. It's not Thanksgiving Day as in the holiday, but it can be Thanksgiving Day as a day that you pause and, and actually thank God. You know, we just had Veterans Day the other day. Maybe during that time, you were thankful for the, the country in which you live. You were thankful for servicemen and women who, who have put their lives on the line for freedom's sake. Perfectly good to be thankful for that. Right, have, have you been thankful for your health recently? The ability to get up and get around? The ability to go out to church? Have you gotten good news about something that maybe you've been praying for and God's answered your prayers? Have you been thankful for the Word of God, which, which we can dig gems of, of truth out of that, that, that feeds our soul as we read it and meditate upon it? Have you been thankful for the Holy Spirit which, which guides us and enlightens our minds so we can understand the scriptures? Have you been thankful for this church family? Because this, this is not common what we have here. Something to be thankful for. Have you thanked God that you are saved and headed to heaven? Because listen, everything else may be falling apart, but if you're a believer, that's something to be thankful for. That's something to hold on to. And it's a blessing because as, as great as your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or your parents may say you are, you didn't deserve it. You were a rebel sinner against God. You were his enemy. You were spiritually dead. But the Bible says that God showed his love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for us to get our lives all fixed and, and straightened out. He came, died on the cross, knowing what you and I and everybody else would do. And that's something to be thankful for, but if you are not saved, if you are not a Christian, if you've never repented of your sin, today is the, the day to do that. Because the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be saved, not could be saved, you will be saved. And let me tell you, if, if that were to happen, this would be the best Thanksgiving you ever had. Because you may still have rotten stuff going on in life, but you'd have spiritual life. You'd be made right with God, you'd have heaven to look forward to. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes.
and with nobody looking around. I just want to encourage you to take your time and opportunity to give thanks. Maybe you, maybe you need to just pause and th say thanks for your, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your grandkids. Maybe you've been praying about that job situation and God's answered that prayer. Maybe he hasn't answered that prayer the way that you've asked it. Maybe not yet. Maybe you've been praying about something. And in this time of, of waiting, this time of difficulty, you can be thankful that God's grace is sufficient. Maybe you are in that point where you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I plead with you, I beg you, I urge you, I encourage you, to trust Christ as your Savior today. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you, even today, would help us to be a thankful people. And God, as we, um, as we enter into this season of Thanksgiving, I pray that you would help each of us to pause and, and consider those things that are uh, meaningful and, and true blessings in our lives that we overlook. And God, I ask if there's anybody that's near me today that is not a Christian, that you would draw them to yourself and let them become your child uh, today. In Jesus' name. Amen.